Hey, True Crimies. I'm Kayla. And I'm Alicia, Kayla's mom. Today I might sound a little bit weird because I have been sick with the COVID. show everyone me and my mom are so grateful that you're here with us today if you continue to support our show every week we are literally obsessed with you (laughs) and if you're new here and you're searching for a place that you can find new true crime stories you may have never heard of or infamous true crime stories that you want a fresh take on you are in the right place as we will be covering a new story every single week. And if you haven't already, please leave us a five-star written review on Apple Podcasts. And now you can do it on Spotify as well. This is huge in helping support our show and helping us bring you these cases every week. Please, please, please go help us on Spotify just like you have on Apple Podcasts. With that, Today's case is a very, very tragic one. It's a case that most of us can't wrap our minds around, and that's probably why I've gotten request after request to cover this case. You guys have been asking for it, so here we are, bringing it to you today. Are you ready for today's case? So you're feeling sick? Yep. I am. That sucks. You've got the COVID. It's funny that we call it the COVID. The COVID. (laughs) I just did my introduction and I was like, I have the COVID. Oh, you did? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I just called it that out of nowhere. (laughs) Are you feeling crappy like I was last week? Yeah. Body aches, congestion. Well, I'm sorry I'm making you record today. I'm a slave driver. You are. (laughs) You got the vaccine and everything. So No sick days from you. (laughs) Nope. Uh, All right. So I kind of, I already kind of told you, but today we are talking about the Dior Coons case. Yes, I am excited about this one because I remember um, watching it kind of unfold on the news. Yeah, I don't remember watching it on the news, but I do remember it unfolding. Well, how'd you hear about it? If you didn't hear it on the news. Probably like on social media, like Facebook. Oh, okay. What year was it? It was in 2015, so six years ago. Okay. This is one case. I feel like I'm pretty opinionated on a lot of the cases. And this is one that I like actually can't nail down an opinion. Yeah, I didn't know what to think either. Yeah. So on July 10th, 2015, Lemhi County Sheriff Steve Penner was working on a call when dispatch called to inform him that they now have a report of a missing child. And that call had come in from Timber Creek Campground. And it was around 2.30 p.m. that a distraught Jessica Mitchell had called, worried beyond imagination because Timber Creek Campground fits its name. It's a campground that is somewhat flat. It's like a sagebrush area, but it does have a creek that runs right through it. 
The initial thought and worry of everyone is that this missing child could have fallen into the water and they may have a case of accidental drowning. And that thought was terrifying for everyone because it seemed like the harsh reality they may be facing. And the little boy that no one could find was Dior Coons Jr. And at this time, he was only two years old. So while he could run around and play, he certainly couldn't swim. So Steve Penner gets the ball rolling after being informed about the missing child. Immediately, he calls search and rescue so they could, you know, do what they do best and get to searching. Lemhi County is out in Salmon, Idaho. And this area is a very mountainous and rural area of Idaho. Timber Creek Campground is about an hour drive from Salmon, which had a population of 3,052 in 2015. The campground sits closest to the small town of Ledore, Idaho, and the population there in 2015 was only 131. Wow, really small town. Yeah, very tiny. Ledore is like really, really small. And the campground, Timber Creek Campground, is only about a half hour drive from Ledore. So the search and rescue team that was activated in Dior's case was actually a very active and well-trained team because although populations around there may be very small, it's common for them to deal with missing folks, as Steve Penner puts it. He says this is because of the terrain and just the amount of people that go hunting and hiking and do these outdoor activities where they may find themselves lost out in the mountains. So Steve is having to arrange all the details with search and rescue. He's coordinating the equipment they need, and he has a lot on his place with that. So this first night on July 10th, he actually stays back in town and does all he needs to do to get that coordinated. And he sends another officer out to the scene. Now, this campground also was not an easy place to access, It was a really rough road for about seven miles after the actual paved road ends. And it is a campground that was really off the beaten path. And you weren't going to make it there in like a regular little car. You would need an SUV or a truck or even an ATV to get there easily. Steve Penner told East Idaho News that now, like in 2021, The road is like much more maintained and it's easier to get there. But in 2015, it was pretty tough to get there. So is this like a popular campground that a lot of people go to or it's just kind of a little one that not many people know about? Honestly, it seemed somewhat popular, but I was looking at the map and there are so many like national forests. There was like three national forests all kind of right there by each other, just like tons of open area. So I think it's a pretty known campground, but at the same time, there's so many places to camp and hike that I don't think there were a ton of people here because they had so many places to go. And I know a lot of people in Idaho don't actually like to camp specifically at a campground. Yeah, true. Like a lot of them will just go out into the wilderness. Like Jacob refuses to camp at a campground. (laughs) And this kind of seems like that sort of area. So I don't think anyone was there with them, with the family that day. But 
I do think it's a campground that's pretty well known and like maintained, even though that road was pretty rough to get out there. Okay. So, and at this time in 2015, cell phone service was also very spotty if you were able to get it to work at all. Now, this officer that Steve sent up there makes it, and as search and rescue starts showing up, he's talking with Dior's family. What happened here? When did you realize your baby was gone? There were four people camping there with Dior that day. His mom, who made that 911 call, Jessica Mitchell, his dad, Vernal Dior Coons Sr., and I believe he might be go by the name Dior as well, but I'm just going to call him by his first name, Vernal, so that it doesn't get confused. But I saw Nate Eaton on East Idaho News call him Dior. Yeah. And so I th- think he might go by his middle name, but we're going to call him Vernal. And Jessica had also brought her grandpa up there. So this is little Dior's grandpa, Bob, his great grandpa, and his real name is Robert Walton. And grandpa Bob brought a friend named Isaac Raywand, Rainwand. So Jessica and Vernal tell this officer that earlier that day, they had taken Dior and drove back to town to Ledor. And once they returned to the campsite, Jessica and Vernal wanted to head to a different area to go fishing. And yes, there was a creek right there by the campsite, but they wanted to try their luck elsewhere, do a little exploring. So they left Dior with Grandpa Bob and Isaac. But Grandpa Bob is like, wait, no, no, no. I thought he was with you guys. So Jessica and Vernal thought Grandpa Bob was watching the baby. But Grandpa Bob thought he ran off with his parents. Jessica and Vernal have said they were only about 50 feet away from everyone else for roughly 10 minutes. Jessica and Vernal also said that you could see all around you. So they explained it as very flat, like I said, like a flat sagebrush area. However, it was also kind of condensed between a bunch of mountain peaks. So like right where they were camping was flat, but they were surrounded by mountain ranges. So Vernal thought he could see anything that was going on around their whole campsite, kind of regardless of where they were. Now, as the day goes on, Steve is sending multiple resources up to the campsite. Divers were sent up and he coordinated a helicopter from nearby in Montana that they would use in the search. And by that afternoon on the same day, July 10th, there were 70 people on foot there to search. Divers had already started in the reservoir and the helicopter was flying over top using heat mapping. Now, it sounds like this technology can recognize like a certain animal from the sky, as well as like detect people and other objects. So that's cool. I haven't really heard of it before. Have you? I've seen it like in movies and stuff. I had it. But so this was all coordinated on the first day. Yep. So by the first night, all of this is already happening. So it was really quick in looking for Dior. It's like hours later. That's good. Yeah. They took it really seriously. But the night comes and it goes and there's still no signs of Dior. The following day searches continue, 
But by the third day, they stop public volunteers from helping any longer. And law enforcement released a statement later that day that they announced this saying that the terrain was just too rough and they were having a really hard time keeping track of all those who were helping in the search. So moving forward, they would just use the search and rescue team as well as law enforcement and like trained professionals. So at this point, they're bringing in searchers on horseback as well that can go up into the mountains, but still there's no sign, not even one clue as to where Dior could be. Now, that reservoir the divers were searching was being heavily focused on and was searched multiple times. It wasn't actually right there by the campground that Dior's family was staying at, but you could hike to it from their camp. And it was a pretty decent hike to get there, but something kept bringing investigators back to this body of water. Throughout the searches of the area, cadaver dogs were brought in to assist with the search for Dior. And these cadaver dogs, they keep hitting at the reservoir. They were hard hitting on this area. So, of course, investigators were drawn here, too. Like, could Dior have made his way up to the water? I mean, how far away was it from the water? So this is kind of what I'm... campground, like, how far would he have to walk? So it sounds like they do think it's possible he could have been there. He was in oversized cowboy boots, but Steve Penner, who was talking with East Idaho News, said that he could have taken those cowboy boots off and gone barefoot. However, we don't find any cowboy boots. But Nate Eaton from East Idaho News, he actually went out to the campsite and he did the hike. And he was the one that said it was pretty decent to get there, but not super hard. Like he thought it would be hard for a two-year-old, but not necessarily hard for him. And what I'm gathering is there's a lower campground and an upper campground. Dior's family was in the lower campground, and I believe the reservoir is in the upper campground. So I think it's just a small little, like, hike to get to that water. Two years old is just so little. I know. I doubt he could have made it up here. But again, the cadaver dogs, they keep coming back to this spot. And and they're hard hitting there, meaning they are sniffing out or whatever they do on human remains. They're signaling to human remains there at the water. So, of course, investigators are like, could Dior somehow have made his way up here? That fear creeps in again, that he could have drowned, just like that was feared surrounding the creek in the campground. The dogs had to be hitting here for a reason. So that helicopter, it had flown over the very first night and used its heat mapping tech to search the water. Sonar was also used and divers dove here multiple times over the few days, but no signs of Dior were in that water. But there was a reason that the cadaver dogs kept coming back to the reservoir. On day three of the search, investigators discover that someone somehow made it past all law enforcement, past all searches, and they made that hike up to the reservoir themselves where they dumped the cremains of a loved one. So the cadaver dogs were not wrong. There were remains of a human in the water, but it wasn't Dior. Oh, my goodness. I know. So like 
they were searching there, but their searches like weren't taped off. I mean, it's a lot of land. So someone just somehow got in. Their loved one must have wanted to be cremated and spread there. And that person did that. So the cadaver dogs, they're like, yeah, there's a dead person around here. Uh, that's crazy. I know. Isn't that so just like random and weird? Yeah, it is. How'd they figure out that it was... Did they just conclude that it was that? I'm not sure. It They don't have a lot of like information on it. They don't have a name of the person that did it. Maybe just like to keep their privacy and all that stuff. But yeah, I don't know if someone came forward and said, oh, like I was just out there. Like maybe they heard about the search, heard they were using cadaver dogs. So I'd assume maybe that person came forward and was like, hey, I just dumped remains there. Yeah, that I just thought that was so random that (laughs) someone would like spread the cremains like right during the search. They obviously probably didn't know what was going on, but cadaver dogs work because they did find it, but it did not lead to Dior. It didn't help out in this case. No. Now, after 10 days of searching, using multiple resources and scouring the area to the best of their abilities, Lemhi County announces that they're going to be scaling back their search. There was no trace of Dior, no sign of where he went or could be. This doesn't mean that the investigators would never search again. In fact, they do go back every summer to search again. It's not unheard of in this area to find the remains of someone many years down the road. Steve Penner told East Idaho News that in 2007, Lemhi County actually found the remains of a hiker, and this was a man who had been missing since 1975. Oh, wow. So it was 32 years that had passed in his disappearance until someone finally came across remains in the mountains. And it was him and his death was accidental, but his family didn't know all those 32 years what happened to him. Was this when they were searching for Dior or just randomly? No, because they found that in 2007 and Dior went missing in 2015. So I don't know if someone randomly found that or if they were actively searching for that guy. But Mm. so, you know, they're thinking, could this be the same fate of little Dior? I mean, possibly, you never know, right? But most people don't believe this to be the case. Some people don't even believe that Dior was ever at the campsite in the first place. Now, before we get into all of that, there was a weird little incident that happened during one of these recurring summer searches. Some different private investigators have been involved in the case, And a few years ago, Philip Klein, the family's second private investigator, he came forward saying that there were human remains found at the campsite, and it was a bone to be specific. And this bone was found in 2019, and it said that cadaver dogs did a hard hit on the place that that bone was found. So Steve Penner was actually the man who found this bone. And he says they find bones like this all the time. It's not out of the ordinary to find bones out there in the wilderness. You know, there's animals that die, yada, yada. But if they can't identify themselves what kind of bone it actually is, they take a picture and they send it off to an anthropologist. 
And after the picture of this bone was sent, the anthropologist couldn't tell what it was. So he requested that it be sent to him. So it was. And with this, the anthropologist took a slice of the bone to look at it under a microscope. At this point, they were still not able to tell if it was a human bone or not. The anthropologist said they couldn't rule out it being a young human bone. So now without him knowing really what it is, they have to do DNA testing on it. So the bone was sent to the FBI over in Quantico, where they did a nuclear and mitochondrial test, which, so is that just two different types of DNA? Uh, like nuclear DNA and mitochondrial DNA? I guess. I mean, mitochondrial has is in a cell. And nuclear, like a nucleus, is in a cell. Yeah. So I'm thinking it's two different types of DNA they test for because Steve Penner did say they don't usually ever find mitochondrial DNA. So nothing was found with the nuclear. And then, like I said, He said, you don't normally find mitochondrial. So again, this testing is just inconclusive. And there are reports out there that say this bone is an animal bone. But Nate Eaton, a reporter with East Idaho News, he asked Steve, oh, okay, so it was an animal. But Steve just replies and says, I don't know. The DNA wasn't there. So no one could actually tell if this bone was a young human bone or if it was an animal bone because the DNA was inconclusive and they just, they couldn't tell. That seems weird. You'd think with all the testing we have that they'd be able to tell. I know. It is weird, huh? Yeah. At least they'd be able to identify it human or not. Yeah, but they couldn't. Uh. So there's just like absolutely no DNA on it. Like it was wiped clean. It probably is an animal bone. Yeah. But like Steve says, he just, he can't confirm that. Odd. Very odd. So now we're back to the disappearance. And 20 days after Dior was reported missing, the FBI joins the investigation on July 30th, 2015. And at the time that this whole thing started, Steve Penner was not yet the sheriff. He is at the time he's giving this interview to Nate Eaton, which was just this past year. But Steve was working on law enforcement. The actual sheriff at this time, 2015, was a man named Lynn Bowerman. And as time went on, Lynn started to grow more weary of Jessica and Vernal. At this point in Lynn's mind, it was highly unlikely that Dior was able to get so far from the campground that he wouldn't be found by now. Remember, searches started that very same night, and the areas surrounding the campsite had been turned upside down in those 10 days of searching. Now, it also seems unlikely that maybe an animal would have played a role in his disappearance. There were no signs of blood or clothing or anything left behind. There are large numbers of predatory animals in this area. There are bears and there's wolves and mountain lions. But it's almost impossible that if an animal attacked, there would be zero signs. You would think a shoe 
or a little piece of his shirt, or honestly, a little piece of him would be left as a sign of the tragic attack. But as we talked about, there were no signs of this. Absolutely zero trace of Dior was found during all the searches. Search and Rescue said, quote, we haven't found a thread, end quote. Now, heads are turning towards the four people who were on that camping trip with the baby. What was the story? Well, first, they were all from Idaho Falls, here in the town that I live in. Idaho Falls is more than a two and a half hour drive to Timber Creek Campground. Jessica and Vernal wanted to do a fun camping trip that weekend with their son, and they must have liked this area or they wanted to see this area. I, for one, haven't even been out to Salmon, Idaho ever, but I have heard it's a very beautiful place with a lot of open space. And it is a great place for outdoor activities and camping. But there are plenty of places to camp much closer to Idaho Falls. Like you most definitely do not need to go three hours away. But like I said, they had probably been to Salmon or Ledor before and liked it or they wanted to go and experience it and see what it was all about. I do know that they had never been to that campsite specifically before this day because Vernal says in an interview that he did not know this area. And they had arrived at the campsite that same day that Dior went missing with a camping trailer. Outside of the trailer, they lit a fire in a fire pit and they started to experience the great outdoors. Now, camping is a big task. It's not as simple as we like to think of it. You have to plan on bringing so many items. So it wasn't unusual that when the family arrives, they realize they need to head to town and pick up some more items. Remember, there's five people camping that day. Jessica, Vernal, Dior, Grandpa Bob, and his friend Isaac. Jessica and Vernal drop off the trailer and they take their black truck into town with Dior. Here in town, they stop at a little convenience store. They pick up what they need and they head back to the campsite. After returning and getting all their stuff set up, Isaac decides to walk down the creek to go fishing. And Grandpa Bob is a little tired, so he was just going to go in the trailer and relax. Grandpa Bob isn't in the best of health at this time. Remember, this is Jessica's grandpa, Dior's great-grandpa. He's getting up there in age, and on top of that, he has to use oxygen. So when Jessica and Vernal decide they want to explore the area by themselves and maybe do some fishing as well, they think Dior can just stay back with Grandpa Bob. He's just sitting there at the campsite. He can't walk around and explore, so he's probably going to love the company of the baby. Now remember, when Jessica and Vernal say they left Dior with Grandpa Bob, he's like, no, no, I thought he was with you. Well, apparently, Jessica says that her and Vernal were walking off on their own little adventure, and she just shouts back to her grandpa, yelling to him that they are leaving Dior behind while they go fishing. Grandpa Bob says that he never hears Jessica's call. He never knew he was supposed to have eyes on that little boy. And he never realized that he was responsible for his safety during that time period. 
And I find this super weird. Like if I'm going to leave a two-year-old with someone, especially someone who is sick and not really very mobile, I would guarantee they know my baby is with them. Yeah. Yeah. He's supposedly in the trailer at this time. And you're just going to yell back like, hey, I'm leaving my kid. Did it say how old he was? Grandpa Bob? No. Actually, I didn't get his age, but he's old. Yeah, it it does. I'm assuming he's in his 70s or 80s at this point. Yeah, I mean, I would definitely, you know, acknowledge it like, okay, you're watching the baby. Okay. Yeah. I mean, this is a two-year-old. There's water in the creek nearby. And then you just yell back and there's no response to solidify that plant because Grandpa Bob says he didn't hear. So he clearly didn't yell back like, okay, I'm watching him. Yeah, he probably didn't know that he was supposed to. I know. And she says... If he didn't hear. Yeah. And he is in the trailer. I guess the door is open. So she's assuming he would hear. But remember, he's also on oxygen. And is an oxygen machine pretty loud? It can be. Like I think of them like going... (laughs) You know? Yeah. (laughs) So I'm thinking like, I don't know. It, It seems really weird to just say, like, we're heading off. You're watching the baby. Get no response. Don't know that anyone heard you. And then you just leave your kid back. Yeah. And they didn't go too far. He said they just walked down a little ways to fish. Yeah. There's like, I feel like there's not a solid story on this time, right? Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of different things said. In the interview I watched with Nate Eaton and on East Idaho News and his parents right after this all happened. Vernal says, we were just like 50 feet away. I thought I could see everything, blah, blah, blah. But then, and like they say they were only gone for like 10 minutes. But then on the phone, Jessica says that he's been missing for an hour. And so I don't, I don't know. there's other places where they say they weren't with the baby and they couldn't see him at all. And they just thought grandpa Bob was watching him. Mm. So there's not really a solid answer to that, but yeah. Cause grandpa Bob says, no, I wasn't watching him. And grandpa Bob's story changes a few times, which we'll get into. Mm. Oh, actually we're getting into it right now. And one of them. So it's later on. That Grandpa Bob does say that he did see Dior during this time that Jessica and Vernal were gone fishing. Remember, originally he's like, no, no, I thought he was with you. But now he says that he did look over at Dior and that Dior was standing near the creek. And then he says he looked away for a minute. And when he looked back, Dior was just gone. I also find this statement so hard to believe. Did he really see Dior during this time? Because A, you see a two-year-old child that can't swim near a creek, but you just look away. And then B, when you look back, he's just gone, but you don't do anything. You don't call out for his parents. You don't look for him. And when his parents return asking where he is, you say you thought he was with them. So I'm like highly doubting that he saw Dior by the creek. That statement just seems way off to me. 
But then I was like, what if he saw him and then he slipped into the creek or something? Yeah. The creek was only like shin high and it was searched really thoroughly. Like it was a very small creek. Mm. But a kid can still drown in any amount of water, but there have been a lot of searches and he's not there. I know. It's hard to know without seeing it. Like, was it a fast creek? Was it just a slow... Like, could he have fallen in and got swept away? Right. It doesn't sound like that's the case. It doesn't sound like he could have fallen in and got dragged off somewhere else. But I haven't been there, so I can't say for sure. Yeah. Now, after Jessica and Bernal return and discover that Dior was not with Grandpa Bob and that Grandpa Bob thought Dior was with his parents, Jessica and Vernal panic. They start running around the campground. They're running up and down the creek, feeling that this can't be real. At any moment, they're going to see Dior's little face pop up around the corner. But they don't. And this sickening feeling fills their stomach. And if you're a parent, you've probably had this feeling before. I've had it like a million times, even in my own bedroom. And I can't find my baby in my tiny bedroom. Like I went to the bathroom once just a few months ago. It's connected to my room. I come out and I can't see Willow. She's like seven months old at the time. Charlie's supposed to be watching her in the room while I go to the bathroom. And I had the door shut because people were there working on our house from the flood. But I come out and Charlie's like, oh, I don't know where she is. And you know, mom, my bedroom is literally tiny. And I couldn't see the baby. I'm running like to each side of the bed. I'm literally freaking out in my mind. I'm like, where did the baby go? Like, this is the smallest room ever. And she ended up just being underneath the bed and she had crawled under under a bench. So I just like couldn't see her. But that like it scared me so bad, even though I knew 100 percent that she was in my room. So I can't even like wrap my mind around that devastation you would feel looking for your kid in like a remote area with just thousands and thousands of miles and forest and mountains surrounding you. Oh, I know that'd be so scary. Yeah, especially like that moment that you realize like, okay, this is real. Like he is gone. Yeah. And that is truly so sad. And I do feel for his parents if they had nothing to do with this. (laughs) So they're going through this terror for about 20 minutes. And Jessica finally is like, okay, we need to call 911. Remember, cell service is spotty at best. So Vernal jumps into his truck and speeds off halfway looking for Dior and halfway trying to call 911 himself. But Jessica's call, it goes through. She says she's camping near Ledor and her two-year-old is missing. He's wearing cowboy boots, a blue pair of pajama pants, and a camo jacket. He has shaggy blonde hair and brown eyes. And this is where we started our story today. We know after this call what happens. Searches start and there is no trace of little Dior Coons Jr., Officers get this full story of the day from Jessica, Vernal, Bob, and Isaac three days after he goes missing on June 13th when they are interviewed. And during these interviews, they also put forward their own theory of what could have happened to Dior. His parents think he was abducted. 
and they just want him returned home safely. So throughout the next couple weeks, Jessica and Vernal stay very close to the campsite. They just can't get themselves to leave. What if someone found their baby out here? They even stay through Vernal's birthday, which comes and goes on June 18th. And on June 16th, just two days earlier, there was a representative with the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children that 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 arrives to join the investigation. As Lemhi County law enforcement continues their investigation, we know the FBI becomes involved. And it's shortly after this that another man becomes involved. This is private investigator Frank Vilt. And he reached out to Jessica and Vernal and offers his services to help find answers. Frank is a retired U.S. Marshal and he becomes involved that August of 2015. And Frank digs through the evidence and he decides that he very much believes Dior was abducted, just like Jessica and Vernal thought. Now, keep in mind, the Lemhi County law enforcement did not believe this to be very likely because there was only one road into Timber Creek Campground. And remember, it was a very rough road, an off-roading type road that you probably wouldn't make it down in a regular car. Right. And didn't you say there wasn't very many people there? There was like no one else camping around them that I've read about or heard of. And yeah, so they're out in this little area completely by themselves. Yeah, that that theory doesn't seem so likely. It doesn't. That someone could sneak in a seven mile road that's going to make noise when you're driving down it because it's super bumpy, snatch a kid and then go. And there was like no indication that anyone did drive into that campsite. And I highly doubt someone's going to walk in, take the kid and run off. I mean, it's just weird because it says they were only 50 feet away fishing. But then how long were they gone for? And like, where were they? I know they've said only 10 minutes that they were gone, but then... They were gone 10 minutes and they searched for 20 minutes, but he was missing for for an hour when they called 911. There's just, and that's a problem in this case, is there's just too many stories about that day. You know, like that story I just told you is what Jessica and Vernal say happened, but we don't actually know that to be the exact truth. Yeah. And that story, it's just all over the place. It, it really can't stay straight. So there's a lot of different reporting on how long they were gone and where they were and how far they were. But yeah, you definitely would have seen someone come into the campsite. It was impossible to get in there and back out of there without someone seeing you. There was one road. Now, Frank, the private investigator, he doesn't care about the likelihood of this happening because he says the evidence points him directly at this theory, and he thinks he knows who did it. It was a man who had been at the stage stop general store earlier that day at the same time that the couple ran into town to grab extra items for their camping trip. Remember, they took Dior with them, and Jessica says there was a man who gave her the shivers and gave her this uneasy feeling that comes with danger. This man wasn't looking at her, though. He was watching Dior. 
He had long, white, curly hair and was maybe in his 50s. Now, Jessica, she watched him walk outside and get into a black Jeep. And Jessica wasn't the only person that this man made uncomfortable. Frank had set up his own tip line while he investigated Dior's disappearance, and he had a team that he was working with as well. One day, the tip line receives a call from a woman. This woman had been hiking near Ledor with her two little boys who were actually very close to Dior's age. And she tells the tip line that when she was hiking, she came across a man who was driving a black Jeep and he had long white hair. The woman relays how scared she was when she came in contact with this guy. And again, same, with, same as with Jessica, it wasn't because he was looking at her. No, it was the way he was looking at her two little boys. After safely leaving the area, the woman's mind pops back to the little boy who just went missing near this area. This guy creeped her out so much, she wondered if he had something to do with the disappearance. And this is when she did her research and found the tip line that she was able to call into. That's kind of creepy. Yeah, that they would see the same person and both have that same feeling. Yeah. Now, Frank reports this tip along with Jessica's experience to Lemhi County and the FBI. And the tip is taken seriously. That is scary and strange, like we said that two women would come across the same man and both have a bad feeling. And we talked about how small Ledor is, so it didn't take long to track down the owner of a black Jeep Rubicon in town. And he matched the description that both women gave. He was in his 50s, long white hair that was a little bit curly. And it turns out he was friends with the manager of that store, the Stage Stop General Store. During his questioning, he says that he was not at the store that day, though, and he actually has an alibi that checks out. What's weird to me is that if he wasn't at the store, where did Jessica see him? Because she didn't just make him up because he is literally a real person that lives there in Ledor, and another woman saw him. He made her uncomfortable, too. So Jessica had to have seen him somewhere, right? But there's nothing further. Like, that's it. He has an alibi, and he's good to go. Who was his alibi? I don't know. That's all it says. He had an alibi that checks out. But if he had an alibi that checks out, did Jessica see him wherever he was with that alibi? Like, that doesn't make sense. Yeah. Because she she did see him that day. Because how else would she know his Jeep and his description and it match another person's description? Yeah. But that's kind of it. They say he has an alibi and he is good to go. Ah. Yeah. So I do, I do find that really weird. Yes, that is. Especially since, I mean, if it was just her saying it, but since it was the other lady... Too, then it seems more believable. Exactly, because if it was just Jessica, it's like, oh, well, she could have even made that up. Like, you know, just like a lucky guess that there's some guy in town that has a black Jeep. But like, no, someone else saw him too. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, I am friends with the manager at that store, but I wasn't there that day. So where so where did Jessica see you? Because she saw you. She didn't just make you up. Because you're a real person. <laughs> right? Like, True. 
true she saw him mm. so i'm not sure if the police have done more digging into him of course you know it's not like they always release all the info but I, that's as much info as i could find on it yeah now about six weeks after frank comes onto the case he decides he's done and he quits in the middle of september of 2015 And this was about two weeks after there was this little boy who looked just like Dior and he was found in Stanton, California and like social media freaked out. Do you remember seeing that? I don't. It was like this little boy. He was just found and he had blonde hair, brown eyes. He looked very similar to Dior and he looked so similar that Lemhi County does make contact with law enforcement in California, but ultimately they determined that the boy was not Dior. Like it had nothing to do with this case, but a lot of people thought it was Dior. So I just thought I'd mention it real quick. Like it was a random boy that was missing and found? I think so in California. Yeah, but it wasn't Dior. Now, when Frank quits, he does do this quietly at the time. So he simply sends the couple a text and then he writes a letter of resignation, which he sends via email to Jessica and Vernal. And he keeps that email private for now. Here's what the email says, because it doesn't always stay private. So it's on September 25th, 2015. And it is says it's to Vernal Dior Coons and Jessica, Jessica Mitchell. And it is regarding the investigation of Dior Jr. Wait, who's it from? This is from their private investigator, Frank Vilt. Private investigator that quit? Yes, the one who quit. The one who at one point thought that that guy abducted Dior. Yeah. The black Jeep guy. So this is what it says. Dear Dior and Jessica... As I previously informed you today via my text to your cellular telephone at 8.31 a.m., I am withdrawing from the investigation because of circumstances beyond my control, including but not limited to a breach of trust on your part concerning your refusal to allow me to make this case national. I am perplexed as to why you did not want me to advertise the $20,000 reward. I was willing to put up personal funds in the hopes that the public could provide information leading to the whereabouts of your son. When I agreed to assist you, I informed you that I would work for my out-of-pocket expenses. I was willing to forego my normal hourly fee. My stipulation was that both of you would be absolute truthful. I told both of you that if I felt you were not telling the truth, stalling me or otherwise misleading me, that I would withdraw from the investigation. In my professional opinion, both of you lied and misrepresented the true facts that could solve the mystery of your missing son. There are other aspects of this case that I cannot go into at this time, but simply put, I believe that the searches will be non-productive. The searches are only used by you to cover a possible crime that one or both of you may have committed. My suggestion is that you fully cooperate with the Lemhi County Sheriff and tell the truth. I do not appreciate the fact that one or both of you are spreading rumors that you have paid me. I have not received reimbursement to cover my expenses. 
I also feel that you are exploiting the public for financial gain. How can you live with yourselves? Sooner or later, the truth will come out. I have enclosed a copy of my expenses and I expect to be reimbursed. I am a professional and I take my work seriously, but I do not like clients that do not cooperate by giving me false and misleading information. Sincerely, Frank G. Vilt. Wow. So it sounds like he thinks that they lied about stuff. Yeah. So it sounds like he changed his mind big time from that theory that Dior was abducted to... I mean, it's pretty straightforward that he thinks they have something to do with it. Right. And he was their personal private investigator. Mm, That's not good. And like I said, Frank kept his reasoning of resignation quiet, but for only a short time. I mean, as we saw, he was pretty serious about his accusations and how he felt surrounding the case. So in January of 2016... Frank goes to the media and he makes this email to the couple public and it blows up. The public is shocked by this letter, but there's one person who isn't so shocked. In fact, Frank's letter just confirms to him his own suspicions. And this man is Philip Klein. Philip came on as the family's second private investigator after Frank quit. So remember, he quits in September, but he doesn't make the letter public till January. So by January, Philip had already been working with Dior's family. And Philip was hired by Dennis Coons, who is Vernal's dad. And Philip, at this time in January, is starting to feel the same suspicions that Frank did. He starts to pull away from the family after it's confirmed that Vernal lied to him about his polygraph test results. At this point, Jessica and Vernal have taken multiple polygraph tests and failed them all. But Vernal tells Philip's team that he passed the polygraph. Now, as the team is working with law enforcement, they're told that Vernal did not pass the polygraph. He actually failed it. And they told him as much. So Philip's team member confronts Vernal, asking him why he lied to them about the polygraph results. And Vernal gets really defensive. He sort of starts shouting and he's like, I didn't lie to you. They told me it was inconclusive, but that they count an inconclusive as a passing. And she tells him, no, we are being told something completely different. But Vernal says he wasn't lying, he's never lied, and he's getting frustrated. Now, I have two things to say here. First, some people say that when Vernal is being defensive on this call, that he seems really angry and, like, rude. And, like, yeah, let's, let's pretend for a second that he has nothing to do with his son being missing. I'm not saying that's the case, but it could be. So then on top of that tragedy, he's also being accused of making Dior disappear. And now people are telling him that he's a liar. I think I personally would be like pretty pissed off and defensive. So I don't know. I don't think his reaction here is necessarily unwarranted or even a red flag to me specifically. But what is a red flag is that both private investigators and law enforcement all working your case, keep coming back to finding you suspicious. 
Yeah. So I don't think like his reaction on this call is necessarily the red flag that other people think might think it is. But their opinions on him that led them to this point of confronting him. That is what is suspicious. That is what is a red flag. Mm-hmm. And the second thing for me is the polygraphs. So both Jessica and Vernal did fail multiple polygraphs. And that is weird. That looks bad. But we've said it before that polygraphs can't be used in court or as evidence because they're just not reliable. Remember in episode three, in the case of the North Pole serial killer, one husband failed that polygraphs like five times before law enforcement realized he just had a heart condition. Yeah, we kept getting mad that he was kept taking them. I know it's like, don't take a polygraph. And like, I really do strongly believe that because polygraphs being failed, they don't make me side eye anyone. And I forgot about this experience I had because I don't know why I forgot until I was looking at this and thinking of the polygraph. But do you remember that I've taken a polygraph myself before? And it was very like iffy. Yeah, was it when you applied for that job? It was when I applied to work at the jail. Of course. Here's the thing. If they thought I failed a question, the guy just kind of asked me like, oh, um, like your heart rate went up a little on this question or whatever. Why do you think your heart rate went up a tiny bit right here? Or why do you think you, you know, had some sweat a little right here? I don't know all the things they test. And I remember there was one question that was just like an awkward question. And I was like, well, I felt a little weird talking to you about this question because it's uncomfortable and blah, blah, blah. And then they just ask you the question again, but like in a different way. And then they move on. And it was like, obviously, one little part of your body having a stress response didn't mean you were lying. And to me, I only did it once. It did kind of seem like my pass or fell just really came down to this guy's opinion that was giving it to me. And, you know, maybe there's people who are better at it or more like expert at it. But he seemed like not so sure of like his results. Like he like I passed it, but like he would like question certain things. I'm like, do you even know what's going on here? (laughs) Like, do you know how to do this? I'm sure they look at like your vital signs and stuff, but yeah. Yeah. And they do, but it does seem like he could kind of choose. Like, hmm, did you fail right here? Or was it like, was it a weird question? Or was, you know, did you move? Yeah, so it seemed like more subjective to you. It seemed super subjective to me, yeah. And I don't know how I forgot that I took that until I was researching this case. But I was like, hey, I've done one of those. <laughs> like, oh, hey, I failed a polygraph before. <laughs> hey, I passed the polygraph. so anyway after the confrontation about the polygraph philip tells the family that he is having some serious doubts in their story and of course the family immediately ends his contract and take him off their case but he decides to keep working the case because not only does he want answers in what happened to dior but philip claims someone in the family was secretly paying him to continue his investigation. 
He says that this family member didn't care that he had suspicions because they just wanted to know what happened to little Dior. Now, Philip does come forward to the media as well, and he talks about his suspicions in the case. He believed that Jessica, Vernal, and Grandpa Bob were all lying to investigators. And in a 2016 interview, he said, quote, nothing that comes out of Vernal's mouth is the truth. Nothing, end quote. And it was right around this time that the Lemhi County Sheriff on the case, Lynn Bowerman, names Jessica Mitchell and Vernal Dior Coons Sr. as suspects in the disappearance of Dior Coons Jr. This was announced on January 26, 2016, less than a year after they reported their child as missing. And being named as a suspect is worse than being named as a person of interest. The other two in the case, Grandpa Bob and Isaac, were named as persons of interest. Well, that's interesting. And Lynn said that their stories were all over the place and that they couldn't keep anything straight. Kind of like how I said earlier, there's not a distinct story on that time before he went missing. Lynn, talking about the public, says, quote, They need to know that mom and dad are being less than truthful and they can make a decision on whether to donate based on that. We've interviewed them multiple times and every time there are changes to parts of their story. The little things all change every time we speak with them. We re-interviewed them, but they weren't willing to tell us the truth. Robert and Isaac were at the scene, so we won't. We won't rule them out, but in terms of persons of interest, I think mom and dad are higher on the list, end quote. And not only were their stories continuously changing, but their stories also weren't matching up. And Lynn believes there is no other possibility in this case than it being a homicide. Now, this isn't everyone's feeling. Steve... Penner, who we've talked about in the beginning, who is the current sheriff in Lemhi County right now, he says that his mind is open to the many possibilities in this case. He hasn't ruled out an animal. He hasn't ruled out Dior being lost in the mountains. But Lynn Bowerman, the sheriff at that time, he said he full on believes it's a homicide. Mm. And there's and his body was never discovered. He has never been found. There has not been one thing found. That's just so bizarre. Well, there hasn't been one thing found in the mountains, but there have been a couple suspicious things found at their home. The couple, in their stories, they kept telling officers that during their trip to town, multiple people saw Dior and that these people played with him and they talked to him. One was a beer delivery man who Jessica says let Dior sit inside the cab of his truck because Dior was just so happy to see his big truck. And the other guy was a man at a gas pump who she says saw Dior sitting in his car seat in the back seat of the truck with the window rolled down and like said hi to him through the window, sort of played around with him and was just like getting Dior to laugh. Well, Lemhi County was able to track these people down. And just like that dude with the long white hair that made Jessica uncomfortable, 
These people were real people. They weren't people that she made up. She really saw them that day. And they were in the same place at the same time as Jessica and Vernal. But the problem is that these people didn't do these things. No one let Dior sit in their truck. That other man didn't play with him through a window. In fact, those people don't remember seeing little Dior at all. Yes, they were at the same store or they were pumping gas next to Jessica and Vernal, but they have no idea why the parents of a missing boy would say that they had an interaction with that child because they didn't. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really weird. Like, it's almost like they are trying to place him there. Yeah. But why would, like, that's such a weird lie to be like, yeah, he grabbed my kid and let him sit in the truck. And they're like, no, we never did that. Yeah, I don't know if they, I mean, it's a weird lie, even if you were a part of your kid's disappearance, because do you not think police are going to go ask these people? I don't know if, like, they were hoping the people would be like, oh, I don't remember. Like, I don't remember what I did yesterday, you know, but. Like, you would remember if you sat a kid inside your beer delivery truck when you're working. Right. And he didn't. That is weird. Yeah. Now, there is one person who has claimed to have seen Dior the day he went missing. But he wasn't with his parents. And she didn't see him before he went missing. So this woman was the clerk at the Stage Stop store. And she says that she saw a little blonde boy matching Dior's description, but she saw him around 6 p.m. that night of July 10th. She says he was with a man who was driving a black truck and that he looked dirty, and she says Dior was crying until the man offered him candy. Well, we know that Dior was reported missing that day at 2.30 p.m. So right away, this story seems a little unlikely, But Vernal says the woman must have seen him and his son, but that she just had the story wrong because Vernal does drive a black truck. Vernal says he never offered candy to Dior and they were there around 1 p.m., not 6 p.m. So did this woman really see Dior with his parents and she was way off about the time? Or... Are his parents using her story to be like, oh, yeah, she must have seen us earlier. And she really saw like a completely different child, a completely different situation. Yeah, I think probably the latter. But who knows? Mm. Because at 6 p.m., like by that point, I think people are already going up there to search and everything. I just I don't believe that Dior would be there at the gas station, Mm -mm. you know three and a half hours after he's reported missing. No, I don't think so. Now, Philip, remember, this is the second private investigator. He also got a strange story from Grandpa Bob. Remember how Grandpa Bob originally said he wasn't watching Dior because he thought Dior was with his parents. Then he came forward and said that he did see Dior by the creek while Jessica and Vernal were fishing. But now, Grandpa Bob tells Philip that he thinks there may have been an accident there at the campsite before Dior went missing. But he doesn't elaborate. 
And Philip's team can never get a more direct story from Grandpa Bob. So this story just kind of lingers in the air to this day, maybe as a clue to what really happened. And Grandpa Bob isn't the only one who makes a strange comment. Philip says that while he was interviewing Jessica Mitchell, she started bawling. And through her tears, she tells him that she knows where her son's body is. But almost immediately, she realizes her mistake and she won't elaborate any further. No, I don't mean it. I'm just scared. But Philip claims that he wasn't the only one she said this to. Did you guys know that Jessica was offered immunity by law enforcement if she told them what really happened and led them to Dior? Mm, I did not know that. And that's a little weird that they would offer her immunity. I mean, maybe they were just trying to get her to talk, but Philip seems to be claiming that they offered her immunity because she admitted she knows where the body is. Oh, wow. But Jessica, she never took the immunity deal, obviously. Mm. Although she does admit to KTVB7 that she was definitely offered the immunity deal. And she just leaves it at that. And she never gets into the details. And police have never confirmed Philip's accusations about Jessica's statement. So I don't know if she really did say that to the police as well. They haven't come forward and said anything. So did they end up charging them? They didn't ever charge them. But they did offer her an immunity deal if she told them more. But she never did. Huh. So then she obviously didn't get an immunity deal because she didn't implicate anyone else. And they must not have had enough on them to get them then. Yeah, because there's just no trace. Like they can't prove that Dior's parents committed a crime. They can't prove that Dior was even at that camping site. They can't prove that he wasn't at the camping site. They can't prove where he went. You know, like they can't prove anything. Yeah. So what about Isaac? Grandpa Bob's friend who came camping. At first, he stayed very quiet about the whole situation. He didn't want to be involved in the discussions because he had always maintained that he doesn't know what happened to Dior. And Isaac, he didn't even know Jessica or Vernal before this trip, but he did know Grandpa Bob. They had gone fishing together before and hung out a bit. And his And his story has pretty much always stayed the same. He says that he went fishing by himself down the creek. And everything had happened while he was out fishing. When he returned, Dior was already missing. Now, Isaac, he may have somewhat of a disability, maybe a learning disability, maybe a mental disability. I have heard that before. I don't know for sure. And It's something that I don't have the exact information on, but I have heard speculation that possibly Jessica and Vernal used Grandpa Bob and Isaac to create their narrative. Grandpa Bob with his old age and ailing health and Isaac with his trusting nature. He may have been easy to use or manipulate. And of course, I don't know if that's true, but it is something that has been circulated. And Isaac has never been able to say that he knows anything more. 
All he knows is that Dior was there and then he wasn't. But he told KTVB7, he didn't say, yes, Dior was here with us for sure. They interviewed him and they were like, oh, what? Like, you're one of the only people that can say if Dior was really there. Because like we said, people question if Dior ever made it camping. And Isaac replies, yeah, it's to the best of my knowledge that Dior was up there with us. That's a little bit weird because what like what do you mean it's to the best of your not like was he there or no <laughs> oh it's kind of like remember last episode i said when people say i think yeah it's like you know so i just i found that straight like i found that strange that it wasn't just a straight up like yes he was there it was it's to my the best of my knowledge he was there so was isaac told he was there but didn't see him does he not remember was he asleep? Yeah, that's a strange answer. Yeah. I I was going to ask, like, did they commonly go camping with their grandpa? I don't think so. This seems like just like a random trip. I know what I read is that the grandpa was actually living with Jessica and Vernal. Huh. And so when they decided to go camping, they did ask her grandpa. And then her grandpa asked if he could bring Isaac. Okay, so that's not so strange. Yeah, it's not super strange. Especially if he lived with them. And it's like, that's part of what makes this case so weird, is that two other people were on the camping trip. So like, yes, a lot of people think Jessica and Vernal are lying. But why do these other two people, one who's not even related, why, like, why do they say you know, they think Dior was there or whatever. Yeah, it's like, well, was he for sure or not? But I mean, heck, if you're that old, you may not, you know, remember a question if you remember. Exactly. And that's why a lot of people have speculated that they sort of were using these people. And if you watch Isaac's interview, you can kind of see what I'm saying, like just how he could possibly be manipulated. So could he have believed Dior was there if they told him he was asleep? Or, you know, yeah, something like that, like with a blanket over him. I don't know. But he says, to the best of his knowledge, Dior was there. And maybe he's right. He says he was just there and then he was just gone. And he goes on to say, I wish I could tell everybody exactly what went down, but I don't remember everything. So and people don't think he's suspicious. I don't find Isaac suspicious. I think if anything did happen, that is like foul play. I think Isaac was more of just a pawn, you know? Yeah, exactly. He kind of got used. Yes. And like KTVB goes on, they ask him like if they think the parents are involved and he says he won't comment or like, where do you think Dior is? And he says he won't comment. But I assume that's because he has a lawyer and his lawyer was telling him not to talk about the case specifically. Yeah. So July of 2016 rolls around and it's been about a year since Dior went missing. And remember, Philip and his team are still working on the case, even though Jessica and Vernal fired him. Well, this July of 2016, Philip and his team release a report on their Facebook. His team is called Klein Investigations and Consulting. And this report details a search of the couple's home. 
What happened is that Jessica and Vernal got evicted from this home or apartment, and the landlord gave Philip's team permission to come in and search it. Jessica and Vernal left things behind, and inside they found items that continued to raise their suspicions. The most telling item that they found to me is a camo jacket. The jacket that Jessica said Dior was wearing at the time he disappeared in Timber Creek Campground, hundreds of miles away from this home. I know. They also say they found blue pajama pants, which that is what she said he was wearing. But again, also, I mean, he's a little boy. He could have multiple pairs of blue pajama pants. And they also found like missing toys that Jessica, I guess, had told Philip and his team that those items were missing and that she had no idea where they were. And with that jacket, obviously, Jessica had told Philip's team Dior was wearing it. So she clearly had no idea where that camo jacket was. I'm sure she showed them a picture or something like, you know, when you're trying to identify what someone's wearing. I believe they try to like look at pictures and look at the actual clothing. Uh And they think that this jacket they found in her home is the same jacket. That she said he was wearing. That she said he was in when he disappeared. Oh, geez. Now, Klein Investigations and Consulting adds one more detail to this report that is telling. They say that they can't find one single person that saw Dior go up into the mountains that day. There is no one that saw him outside of the four people traveling with him. Quote, KIC cannot find any person that saw the child go up the mountain either the day of the event or the evening before. Therefore, moving our timeline of events back to 5 p.m. the day before the 911 call was made. KIC believes that the parents, being Vernal Coons and Jessica Anderson, are deceptive with intent to cover up a crime, and that the investigation now starts regarding an intentional homicide. End quote. And Phillips said that the search was a, quote, sickening example of deflection of an event that, in our opinion, was most probably an accident and cover up, end quote. Dang. All these private investigators that are working with them are like coming out with some really pointed accusations. I know because when I first saw it, I like thought, oh, I, I wonder if those parents did it. And then it's like, oh, that's so rude to think that, like, especially if he just drowned or something, that'd be really sad to accuse him. Oh, absolutely. Yes, I agree. But then after hearing all this, it sounds like they really were involved. It's so hard for me to, like, create an opinion because I have that exact same thought as you. Like, if they didn't do it, that's very sad that they are suspected of it, you know? Being accused. Yeah, that would be horrible. Like you're grieving your child. You've been through the worst thing ever and like no one's there for you because like the community turned on you and they think you did it. Mm -hmm. But these people who are closest to the investigation doing close up, you know, research of this case that know this case far better than we do. Right. They all think the parents are suspicious. So unfortunately, I'll probably have to side with them. I know. 
So, like I said, no one can find any indication that Dior did make the trip up to that campsite. But I do want to say here that when investigators first started their search, they did find a diaper bag packed for Dior's stay up there, and they did find one used diaper in a plastic sack tied to a tree as some sort of like garbage sack. So this could place Dior there that day if it wasn't staged. Like that made me question again just a little bit because I was like a diaper in a bag, you know, like. Yeah, I don't I don't feel like they'd be smart enough to do that. Yeah, to like bring a diaper and like have it hanging there. I was like, oh, he was here. We changed his diaper. So I do find that really like, okay, was he there? I know. I cannot decide. I cannot decide. Was he there and did he wander off and go missing? Did someone really take him? Mm. I cannot wrap my mind around this case. Now, soon after the couple was evicted from this apartment, they decided to break up. Although they were engaged at the time, I don't know if they actually ever got married. Jessica went on to marry someone else and move out of the state of Idaho. And shortly after this, Vernal makes a statement, quote, I don't have my son. I don't have his mother. I don't have a whole lot of reasons to do a whole lot anymore is my problem. Before I lost Jessica, I at least had a reason if things got rough. I had her mentally there to help, to be with each other. Now I don't have anybody. I don't have her. I don't have anybody. End quote. And kind of like we were just saying, like, if they truly don't know what happened to Dior and Vernal is suffering all that loss alone, that is really heartbreaking to me. Yeah. Like, I do feel bad for him when I read that statement. Thinking about, like, you lost your child, like, you're not with the mom, like, That would be really, really sad. Mm -hmm. Devastating. Oh, yeah. Like, I wouldn't even survive. Lots of couples do break up from, you know, tragic things like that. It's very common, right? Like, people eat, like, might easily blame the other person or they just can't get over it or, like, they're not handling each other's grief very well. Mm -hmm. If they did happen to do something to Dior, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing that they have now split up. Not being together could kind of be a deciding factor for one of them to turn on the other and bring the whole story to light, which already kind of started. It was in 2017 that Jessica did an interview with Investigation Discovery, and in this video, she came forward with this very weird statement. She said, Quote, I believe Dior's father could have hurt him. He's living life like it's nothing, and I'm falling apart every day. End quote. Now, this is weird because Jessica was there that day. Her and Vernal have had a similar story the entire time. They've both maintained he went missing the way they both said he went missing. So for her, two years later... To say she thinks he could have hurt him almost does indicate to me that she knows more because she was with Vernal during that entire trip. Like, he didn't sneak off with Dior. Yeah. 
Mm. Like, what do you mean you believe he could have hurt him? You Weren't you there? Weren't you fishing with Vernal when he went missing? <laughs> True. I don't know if they could turn... I mean, I guess they could turn on each other, but she would get in trouble too. Exactly. But like... Just sometimes, like, I've seen that in cases, like, where people did something together and then, like, later on they don't have contact and, you know, it slips out to someone or they turn themselves in or something. Yeah. So it's like, if they did do something, I mean, that is weird to me. That is weird that she said, I I believe Dior's father could have hurt him. Like, wait, what? (laughs) You were there. You were literally there. You said you were with him. Yeah, that's true. And it's like, well, are you just, like, pissed off at him now? Yeah. Have like you broken up so you're saying stuff? Or... Oh, my gosh. Was what you were saying before a lie? Yeah. That would be so rude to break up and just, like, be mad and be like, well, I'm going to say you hurt our kid. That's missing. <laughs> that would be so rude. <laughs> well... But you never know. Tons of people do that. Oh my gosh, I know. People are crazy in breakups, you know? Mm -hmm. But yeah, that whole statement, it just like, it's one of those things that pulls me back to thinking maybe they did have something to do with it. But I'm so back and forth. Yeah. Well, Vernal, he comes back quickly with a response. And he did this by speaking with East Idaho News and releasing his own statement. Quote, I would never harm my child. Nothing about my life is normal anymore. Not a single minute goes by that I don't try to figure out what happened to my son, and I'll never, ever stop looking for him. I will never give up hope my son is alive, and I will see him again. Being his father is the best thing I've ever done and will do. End quote. And Philip Klein, that second private investigator, He believes that Jessica herself is the one at the center of this, that she is the mastermind in whatever plan the couple may have had to cover up the disappearance of Dior. And I actually, when I watched the interview, it's just a few days after Dior goes missing, Nate Eaton interviews Jessica and Vernal, and I did find Jessica more weird. But again, that was just like a personal like, hmm. Really? What did you find weird about her? So Vernal was telling the whole story. And like, again, I was kind of like believing him. I like I was when he was telling the story, I was like, yeah, that's so sad. Like I was feeling really sad for him. And again, I mean, if one of them did something, it was probably both of them. So but so maybe he's just more convincing. But Jessica was just sitting there the whole time that he was talking. She didn't cry. She just sat there and she would just sometimes once in a while jump in with like information like, oh yeah, call in a tip or, you know, like information about the case, not about Dior. And it probably just rubbed me the wrong way because I'm a mom. But like for me, I was thinking, holy shiz, if I'm sitting there and my kid's been gone for a few days, I feel like I would just be a hot mess. I don't care if I'm on TV. I'm crying. I'm bawling. I'm begging someone to bring me my kid back to find my kid. Yeah. And it was just like, Vernal did cry a little at the end. He didn't cry when he was talking. And that that was actually a little weird, even though I like liked him more for some reason while I was watching. 
it was like they were really just there to relay the facts of the case. It wasn't like an emotional interview. And this is days after he goes missing. But now I want to go watch the interviews. I can see what I think. I know. Yeah. I'll have to send that one to you. I know. I saw it before. I just don't remember now. You probably saw it back on the news back then. Yeah. Yeah. But I thought, I, I think I thought the mom was a little weird too. Yeah. And it's hard because again, like they always say, you never know how people are going to react. And while that is true, I do still kind of think it's important to look at how they act. And, you know, maybe she handles her grief different. But like just as a mom, I would just be a mess without I don't even think I could barely sit there. Kind of like it reminded me of Denise Fergus from the James Bolger case. Mm -hmm. They did a couple like interviews like news appearances when James went missing and she couldn't even stay on camera like she had to like get up and walk away because she was like so devastated you know that I guess that's just what I expect yeah but I mean everybody acts differently but that's what makes it so hard I know I I don't know why I was thinking about this the other day but I mean we've been lucky as a family we haven't had to go through the trial of a death or anything. No. And I was thinking, like, if any of my kids died or anything, I would just die. I know. Me too. (laughs) Like, that is one of the worst things you could ever go through. I mean, I would just be so emotional, but I know um, other people aren't like that. So, I don't know. I know. And it's so hard to say how someone will be. And a missing child is almost even worse than a death because you just don't know what happened. Oh. Like, I would go crazy. I've talked to Shannon about that before. He was like, you would be absolutely nuts because you're so obsessive. Yeah. Like, just where is my kid? I can't even imagine. Like, it's just like days are passing and you're like, oh, I, I still don't know where my kid is. Yeah. So maybe she was numb. You know, she doesn't have to act how I would act. Right. But it did rub me the wrong way. So it's that same year in 2017 that Dennis Coons, Vernal's dad, files a lawsuit against Philip Klein for breaching his contract with the family. The family has claimed that Philip made statements to the media that he was not allowed to make because it breaches the confidentiality in his contract. And Philip's attorneys say that he was not breaching the contract and he had every right to talk about the case with the media. The lawsuit was officially dismissed in 2019 after Dennis Coons, Vernal's dad and Dior's grandpa, dies. Remember, he's the one who hired Philip and the one who Philip had the contract with. It was also in 2019 that Dior's great-grandpa that was on the camping trip with them, Grandpa Bob, also died, leaving behind that weird statement about a possible accident happening, a statement that will never be cleared up for us now. There is a new private investigator on the case, so they have a third private investigator. I don't remember his name. I had it down somewhere, but, you know, Philip, obviously, I'm not sure if he's still working the case after all the lawsuits, and all of that stuff, but they went through one private investigator, they went through the second, and now they are on a third. So I'm kind of curious to see 
kind of where things go with that private investigator. Yeah, that will be interesting. Yeah, it will be. And, you know, a lot of law enforcement involved thinks that the parents are suspicious. But like I said, Steve Penner, the current sheriff, he's not sure. He does seem like he finds them a little suspicious, but his mind's very open to other possibilities. Mm. This case has more questions in it than answers. But every summer, Steve Penner says that Lemhi County will do another search, just like they do every year. A yearly search for a little boy who may still be up in the mountains. A little boy who was maybe taken from the mountains. Or a little boy who maybe never even made it up to the mountains. And like we kind of talked about earlier, if Dior's parents were not involved, I feel very sad for them. Because I can't imagine losing my kid and your kid's your world. And like I said, you're going through that grief that pretty much no one else can understand. And then you're being questioned on how much you really loved him. On if you could be the reason he's missing. And that would be a horrible feeling. But if they were involved, Dior deserved so much more than this ending to his little life. He deserves to be remembered and to have justice. So what do you think? What do you think happened? Uh, I don't know. It's hard to know. I don't know. Because <laughs> it would be absolutely devastating if, if he just wandered off and got lost and then people are targeting you. But then if you really did something, then you should be targeted. I know. And I am, like, I do think I lean towards thinking that they may have something to do with it. But there's evidence on both sides that is compelling to me. So I'm just like, like I said in the very beginning, this is like one case that I cannot form an opinion on. And I think that's why it's so intriguing to everyone. Right. Like I said, like everyone wanted us to cover this case. And it's because it's like literally what happened. Yeah. There's just so many lack of answers that it that it makes it hard, difficult to decide. Exactly. Almost no evidence, no eyewitnesses. Like, it's just very strange. Yeah. So Dior Coons Jr. was born on December 30th, 2012. He was only two years old when he went missing back in 2015, and he would have been eight years old two weeks ago. His case is still a cold case. We honestly don't even know if he's just lost or if foul play was involved. But his cute little face with big brown eyes and shaggy blonde hair will forever live in our minds as we all wonder what could have happened to him. Palette cleanser ever, and you are gonna love it. 
Today, we are talking about Idaho. It's going to be the funnest show ever because we live in Idaho and we're making this podcast in Idaho. Oh, and last time we made a podcast, well, we did it in, hmm, just ignore that. (laughs) Did you know that Idaho has 4.7 million acres of wilderness? This is so much land because the world is huge. It's more land than three smallest states of the United States of America, Rhode Island, Delaware, and Connecticut are smaller combined than Idaho's wild and roadless areas. That's so cool. Bye. Have a great day. Thanks for listening today, you guys. Again, I'm so grateful that you're here. Please leave us a five-star written review on Apple Podcasts. And like I said earlier, you can now leave a five-star written review on Spotify. That will help people find our show and help our show grow so that we can keep bringing you these stories every week. This is a huge way you can support us in bringing these stories to you. And it means so much to me. The show is researched, written, hosted, and edited by me, Kayla Waters. It's co-hosted by Alicia Jenkins. The palate cleanser is given to us by Charlie Waters. Our original graphic art was created by Arthur Max, and our music was created by Jaden Schultz, who you can find on Instagram at In Pajamas Music. Make sure you guys also go find us on Instagram and TikTok so that you can get pictures and information on every case we cover. Find us on Instagram at True Crime X Pod, True Crime E X P O D, and you can find us on TikTok, all spelled out at True Crime Exposed Podcast. Now, the organization that I wanted to talk about today is called Idaho Crime Prevention Association. You can find them on Facebook, go like their page. Give them some support. This is a nonprofit organization based out of Boise, Idaho. On their Facebook page, they have a phone number, they have their website, and a little bit of information on them. They are the Idaho Crime Prevention Association, a nonprofit organization consisting of police officers, crime prevention specialists, private security, and persons actively engaged in crime prevention in the state of Idaho. They say that what they do is crime prevention, of course. It's the anticipation, recognition, and appraisal of a crime risk and the initiation of some action to remove it or reduce it. I love that. Now, they do this by providing a vital link between law enforcement and the community. The ICPA was established for the purpose of advancing proactive crime prevention at the city, county, and state levels, and in the public and private sectors through education, networking, and advocacy. This seems like a wonderful organization to support, and I highly recommend you going to their Facebook, showing them support there, and visiting their website, seeing if you can donate or if you can volunteer and get involved. <laughs>